I, you know, battled with insecurity over my thinning and receding hair for a, at least a year, if not more. And to then finally shave it off, I felt like it Welcome to a brand new episode of the Super More Bros Podcast, hosted by your favorite brother duo, I'm Mitch. And I'm Matt. Where each week we bring you a dope guest or equip you with the skills to live life at the highest level. Welcome back to another episode of the Super More Bros Podcast. This is arguably going to be the best podcast ever because we have the absolute best guest ever. One of the best guys you'll ever meet. And I'm just proud to welcome my good friend Mike Donatelli to the pod. What's up, dude? What's going on, Super More Brothers? Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so honored. I love both of you guys. And I am just so excited for what we're going to dive into today, our conversations. I mean, just talking with you guys as friends is one of the most, my favorite things in the world. So to be able to do this and share with other people, it's going to be fun. It's going to be special. Dude, we love you so much. Like, we just couldn't, when we think of of the first podcast guest, we thought of you. It was just like, Mike. Like, Mike is our guy. He's going to be incredible energy, bring incredible vibes, and people are just going to love him. So we knew that you had to be guest number one, without a doubt. Oh, uh, boy. I am feeling the pressure, but I'm going to try to rise to the occasion. Uh, no, you guys are the best. So, so grateful for you guys for inviting me on. So pumped that you thought of me. That is so, so awesome. And yeah, it's going to be awesome. Like It's going to be a great time. I'm pumped to see what we get into. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned earlier, just like the conversations that we have, you know, in person and just like, you know, as friends, like we have conversations like this with the people in our community all the time of like, how can we grow? What are we working on? You know, what areas, um, you know, are we seeking improvement in and in all these different things? So this, you know, our podcast, what we're trying to do is really bring our conversations that we have online so other people can relate and, you know, use, get value out of, out of these. So we'll start, you know, we want to go through your story and hear a lot about just who you are. Um, so let's start with little man, Mike. I, I've seen the pictures of you Jack, as a little kid, but where'd you grow up, man? What was it like growing up? And um, I really also want you to touch on the example that your dad provided for you in the gym. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I grew up suburb of Chicago my entire life, kind of bounced around was born in Naperville, uh, moved to Glen Ellen when I was pretty much like, don't even remember it. And then spent the majority of my childhood growing up in Geneva, Illinois. Um, so I went to Geneva High School, Geneva Schools. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was always one of those kids, at least from my parents, the way my parents described was like, could not keep me from not moving, you know, just running everywhere. My mom always, jo- always jokes that I learned how to run before I learned to walk, you know, went from crawling to just sprinting down the halls until I fell over and get back up and and keep going. And it's funny because I, I hear that story and I kind of take it into how I just go through life as an adult almost, you know, like I'm all about full steam ahead. You know, yeah, I might trip a lot more than I would if I just took it easy and walked. But to me, that's part of the adventure is just being able to see as much as I can experience as much as I experience and if that means I fall a little bit oh well get back up 
brush off the dirt and keep on moving forward. Um, so yeah, so I was always an active kid. Um, growing up, played. I really didn't play the traditional kids sports though. I joke with my parents about this a lot, um, but I never played soccer. Um, it was pretty much the moment that I could, you know, be registered for sports. It was something contact related. So I was in football. Um, I was in flag football right away. My dad was a football player in college, so he kind of pushed me right into the football area. Um, I swam a little bit actually when I was younger, um, but then that quickly transitioned from swimming to wrestling um, in the winter. So I was pretty much football and wrestling my entire life. I tried basketball when I was in like maybe first or second grade. Um, and I fouled out of a lot of games and my dad was like, all right, you're not going to be doing this anymore. <clears throat> so I was, I was joking with my dad though. Like we, um, with football, I never got the traditional football, like father son bonding because it was always my dad never, you know, you like you go out back and play catch with the, with the ball, right? Like that's what most father and sons do. It was always, he's just going to be my tackling dummy. He's going to teach me how to form tackle like every single day. So we went out in the back and he was just having me do tackling drills and, you know, linebacker drills because he's like, you're not going to be a wide receiver. You're going to be a linebacker. You're going to be a fullback or something. Um, and that's what I was. So I played football all the way up to through eighth grade. Um, and that was for a, a long time. That was like my real passion. Um, and then once we moved from Glen Ellen to Geneva, I went all, I found a new wrestling club, went all in on that. Um, someone in our football program was like, Hey, he'd be a good wrestler. You should try off wrestling. So started wrestling, loved it. Um, and then it kind of transitioned into like, I would play football during the fall and I would wrestle the entire rest of the year. I'd wrestle in the winter and then I would wrestle um, freestyle and Greco-Roman in the spring and summer. And that kind of took me back into football. And it was just, that was the life of a kid. Like it was the best thing ever. I was active all the time doing those two sports. And yeah, that was, that pretty much took me up until like high school when it came to sports. Um, but even throughout that time, the constant, and I've talked on this to you guys about was always watching my dad constantly work out. Like that was his thing. Like, you know, and it was the thing that stood out to me, I think the most of like what separated my dad versus the other dads. It was like my dad, when I looked at like my friend's dads, they were all out of shape, you know, like slinging beers back on the weekends and like, you know, always kind of like jokingly giving my dad crap. And I never really understood it. I'm like, well, he just works out. Like what's, what's the big deal there? Um, but, you know, since becoming older and, and understanding just how guys work and everything, it was a lot of, you, you know, right? Like there's a little insecurity going there of like, oh, he's actually taking care of himself. And now we obviously see the, the repercussions of that. Um, but yeah, I always saw my dad work out. He was, you know, early mornings when I was younger, um, then it kind of transitioned to um, whether I was, it was at his lunch break or he would go and, and coach football practice or come to my wrestling meets and then he would go afterwards. So I always saw though, like him prioritize fitness and that had a profound impact on me just in what I would go on to do. Um, but then also like my enjoyment for, for exercise, you know, he always put the, put the example of like, it didn't matter what sort of excuses you came up with. Like 
you always had to put your fitness, you always had to work out. Um, and that had an impact on me and it, it led to the, you know, a lot of the things that were, that kind of happened in my life. It was stems from my dad always saying, no excuses. You got to get your workout in. Oh, I love that, man. And we can, we can really relate to that. Um, cause our dad, like, that's the main thing that we took away from just our childhood with our father is work ethic and discipline. Like he was always the guy showing up early. He was always the guy waking up early to get his workout in, you know, getting it in late, whatever that looks like. But I'm curious to hear how you got started lifting. If you lifted with him, if you had resistance to it, because I know in my experience, trying to get that guy right there, (laughs) trying to get him to lift, man, he just fought me tooth and nail and pushed back, you know, and it really kind of, you know, it wasn't a detriment to our relationship. But it caused a lot of arguments and it caused a lot of tension between us. So I'm curious, did you just take to it right away with your dad or did he kind of ease you into it? What did that look like and how did you get started lifting for yourself? Definitely. So it was kind of like a, I would say like it happened in stages because when I was younger, like when I was young, too young to really start lifting and training, I ha- I still had the desire of like my dad is like the guy. He's the hero, right? Like every young kid understands that looks up to their dad and that was no different for me um so I always wanted to like work out with him but he was doing like insanity workouts p90x heavy lifting so I was I was too young to really do that like I didn't need to go out my focus should have just been with sports and that's what it was but I would always come down and maybe jump in on sets or just talk to him while he was lifting And then I got older and I was like, all right, I want to start doing my own stuff. My focus shifted more to sport. And right about the time where I was at that age where I was like, all right, now I need to actually start lifting for performance for my sports. Um, Right about like eighth, right right around like eighth grade. um, He like recognized that. And it was definitely like a teetering point. Like he could have said like, I'm just going to, you're going to come to the gym with me every day. You're going to get after it with me. And I think if he would have done that, I would have resented him for it because I don't think I would have been at that stage where I would have thought it as cool. I would have thought it as bonding. I would, it would have turned into, you know, he's just yelling at me or like, you know, pushing me. And then in addition, he would just be pushing me away kind of. So what he did, and I've, it's one of the biggest blessings of my life was he hired me a strength and conditioning coach immediately. I got in eighth grade. So eighth grade, I started like lifting weights and immediately I was, you know, I had like a great strength and conditioning coach. I went there like four or five times a week. Um, and it was awesome because then all of a sudden he, I was learning from him and then I would be able to come back. And if I wanted to work out with my dad, it was just, we're working out together. It wasn't him teaching me how to work out or him coaching me through. It was just like, in my eyes, it was the coolest thing because it was like my dad saw me as like an equal. It was like, hey, we're pushing each other together. Like I was motivating him. He was motivating me. And that wouldn't have been able to happen if it was more of that like dominant relationship where he was trying to always be the coach and, and teach me and, and kind of just push me in that in that way. Um, so he got me a coach and then I had a variety of strength conditioning coaches, lifting coaches pretty much all throughout high school. Um, And that really allowed us to then exercising together was just something that we bonded over. 
Um, so he would even sometimes come to team lifts or like, you know, team workouts and stuff. Like he would come in, it was rare because he was busy at work, but like he would come in every once in a while on like holiday breaks and stuff and, and, and work out with us. And I thought that was the coolest thing. I was like, all your dads are freaking, you know, out, you know, being fat asses, watching, watching (laughs) TV and stuff. My dad's work out working half the freaking wrestling team. And I loved it. I loved that. And it was fun for me. Um, so I really think the big reason I didn't ever have that, like, I don't want to work out with you was because he, he viewed it as like, we can train together. I'm not going to train you. You're going to go off and, and, and get coaching and then you can, we can work out together. I love the way he went about that because oftentimes you're too close to these people to take advice from them. Even though you're a young kid, you know, I've realized that with even like our mom right now, like, you know, I'm really trying to push her in the health. Like I'm like, Hey, like I'll clean out your fridge, your pantry, like do these things for me, please. You know, like trying to push her towards healthy, but she doesn't get it because she's too close. She's seen me do these bad things. She's seen me grow up, make mistakes and be, the person that I'm not today. So I think she's just too close to my story to respect what I'm saying. Um, Definitely. And so I love that he kind of went to a different mouthpiece to translate that to you, you know, instead of just trying to go through him. But also I can relate to your dad training with you in the gym because my dad used to throw with me before baseball games. We used to warm up together. It's on a travel baseball team. We'd travel across the country together. And he would throw, and I love that because he was like, he was like all out. Like if if you know our dad, like he, he he's all out. He was out throwing everyone. Like no kid on the team was gonna out throw him. I don't know if he's just had an ego in that moment, but but he's like pushing me. Like you're gonna be throwing the ball. Like we would long toss every day, and it's like you're gonna be throwing the ball like far. Like that was a way to build arm strength. And so he would come out there before the games, and I was warming up with him. Sometimes it was Mitch, but most of the time, like you know, every every guy had like a throwing partner. Mine was my dad out there before games, so it was incredible to see see yes, that. Absolutely. I love that. And it was like, yeah, exactly the same way. Um, my dad never really coached me in wrestling. He coached me in football, um, but wrestling was something he wrestled like one year in college, so that was never his expertise. And I will admit, my dad like never overstepped what he thought his knowledge was, right? Like he very much with lifting, because see, I mean – but that was a great lifter, but he he'll tell you, you know, firsthand, he's an old school lifter. Like the shit he does, like he's got messed up shoulders from benching, you know, like he, he doesn't, you know, he, he was in that age of lifting where it was very much just, you know, how much weight can you push old school mentality, just gritted out, um, which is great. I mean, he benched 505 his senior year of college, um, like ridiculous. Wow. He was, he was 230 or something like that nose tackle just like freaking just meatball over here um but uh yeah so like he never overstepped that so then it it became fun for us because there was never this battle of like knowledge or battle of ego it was always just like no we're just gonna push each other and that's what it became you know it was like he would come into some of my workouts and wrestling and he would come into my lifts and some of my training like he would every once in a while pay my trainer um for a few sessions so that he could train with us um it was super fun like I always viewed it as just a very a big blessing and I think the other reason you know looking back on it why I viewed it as such a blessing and not like a oh this is why is my dad got to be in this 
was because I constantly saw what other dads were doing. Right. And I'm like, well, I like, I can have the respect for the fact that my dad is way different from all of these dads. You know, my dad wasn't perfect in, in any stretch of the imagination, but like he showed me what happens when you prioritize discipline, you know, with your body, with your, you know, your eating and your working out and, you know, having a strong work ethic and, and all of these things. And I just think I, I really appreciated that because I saw what other dads were. And I was like, dang, I'm really freaking, it's really cool that we can bond over this because I just felt really lucky. Like not, I knew no one whose dads did what he was doing. Yeah. 100%, man. I love, I just love it. I want to meet your dad now. I just want <laughs> your dad um oh, yeah. I, I just know that you know i would love him we would love him um we'd love to get a training session with your dad that'd be cool just to to, yeah. to do that but um i want to specifically like talk to maybe dads that are listening i know you train like a lot of dads <clears> and, and you, you have this experience from the son's perspective and we kind of have this experience as well we never lifted we did lift with our dads sometimes but uh, we didn't get too much into it until after um, our parents got divorced and, uh, he was, you know, lifting on his own. And, and then that's when we really got into it ourselves. So the, the timing of that just didn't really match up, but I want to talk, um, to just speak to the dads out there that want to be involved and just say like, your kids want you to be involved, like in the sports, like they want you to be a part of it, but they don't want you to be the person that's always critiquing them. They really do not like for me. I remember car rides home from baseball tournaments crying because, you know, it was everything that I did wrong. And uh, my brother is the same way. Like we love, he loved my dad out there throwing with him and just being in it, you know, and just, just like have, bringing the energy and the vibes that other dads, you know, they were sitting over there on the fucking bleachers drinking a beer. My dad's out, out there throwing and, and all this stuff. Like we loved that so much, but when it like when your kids start to push back and don't want that relationship is when you start to just yell at them from the sidelines and tell them everything they did wrong in the car ride home. Like, you know, all of that's when it becomes resentful and they start to push away. Like just from a son's yeah, perspective, yeah. like, yeah, you know, yes. I'm not a dad. I can't speak from the dad's perspective, but that is just how we have viewed things and how we've seen this come up. So did your dad do, I mean, he played football in college like he benched 505 like that is elite level strength and for him to hire a strength and conditioning coach for you at eighth grade he could have easily said i got this i know what i'm doing i'll coach you in football i'll coach you in training you're gonna be fucking nfl prospect <laughs> like you know like these dads just want to live through their kids like did he ever do that with you um in sports at all yeah like, so um, so there's a few moments that stick out and we, we share stories about this and laugh about it now because it was definitely like, there was moments because, you know, you nailed it, you hit the nail on the head of like, you know, we can't understand a father's perspective, but I think we can, you know, take it a guess of what that's thinking. And it's all stemming from love and passion, right? Like it's their way of saying, I want to be all in on you. I want you to have the best. I want you, you know, I know what you're capable of. And because I believe in you, I'm going to push you and all this stuff, right? Like it's all coming from a place of love. <clears throat> so there's a couple times in football, um, as I started getting older, because my dad was, he was a coach. He was typically the head coach. Um, and as I started getting older and like, like I said, I only played till eighth grade. 
Um, so it was still youth football. Um, I was on travel teams and everything, and he was always a part of that. He was usually the head coach. Um, but what we kind of, he kind of told me when I got in like sixth grade, so the last like three years of, of football, when things were starting to get a little bit more competitive, at least for a youth standard, um, he made the decision that he wasn't going to have, he wasn't going to be the one to discipline me on the football squad. Like, cause we were too close and it was getting to the point where, you know, we would get frustrated at each other on the football theme because maybe I was, be, you know, I was being, I'd be lazy or something during a practice or didn't do something right. And my dad would be, get right on my ass. And that led to when we got home, us getting pissed off at each other and short with each other. And it wasn't good. So <clears throat> when I was in sixth or seventh grade, it was sixth grade, he basically passed all responsibility onto um, the assistant coach. And he was like, you're in charge of disciplining Michael. Like, I don't want, like, there's a few times he would step in and everything, but that allowed that kind of separation, at least, of like, all right, you know, you're my coach, but the one that's really going to discipline me is going to be the assistant coach, and he's going to be the one that gets on me. So that was good. But there was a moment in wrestling when I was, because my dad pretty much was hands-off wrestling for most of my time. Um, he would only coach if I absolutely needed it. Um, there is one tournament in specific that we always joke about, but I, um, I just, I was having a bad day. I didn't wrestle that well. Um, and I kind of, I mean, looking back at it, like I'll own it up. Like I was being such a puss for the last match. Like I was total sissy (laughs) move and I just didn't want to be there. And I, I, you know, I think I ended up winning, but it wasn't like a great, like I did everything wrong. Like it wasn't good. I should have destroyed the kid and it was a close match. And we're walking back to the car and my dad just like loses it on me. He's like, what the fuck am we driving all the way out here for? If you're going to wrestle like this and like kind of just goes all in and I get fired up and like yell at him. And then I'm sitting in the back and I'm just pissed off fuming. And it was like that moment he like, I would say like the next day we talked and he's like, listen, I overstepped, you know, like. I don't want to be your coach in wrestling. Like I, I can't, like, I don't want this to turn into it and it's all out of love and everything. But it was that exact moment that, you know, you guys were talking about, right? Like he just wanted the best out of me. He knew what I was capable of, but it got to, it can get to a toxic or a, a bad level. Um, and then from that point on, pretty much he was like, I'm just going to be the dad. I'm going to, I'm going to step back completely from wrestling. Um, and because he couldn't step back from football. He had, was just the coach for the travel team. But for wrestling, he was like, I'm done. You're getting coached by other people, and I'm, I'm just going to be your dad. And that was a big moment, um, but he definitely lost it on me. And I was just like, yeah, this isn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that sounds so familiar to us. Uh, yeah. I, I know. <laughs> yeah, right? It's There's like nothing worse than like you already feel shitty because you didn't wrestle well or perform well and you got your, your parent just like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, you don't think I'm thinking about that right now? Like, <laughs> obviously. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't good, but we laugh about it now and it was all out of love so I can, I can understand it. <laughs> Honestly, hats off to your dad for that awareness. Like, that's incredible. Like, I mean, truly, most dads don't have that awareness and they continue to push, push, push. So hats off to him for seeing that he needed to step back. Yeah, it was, 
and it was always funny because he still was um, like he did have great awareness, and I'm so grateful for it. But even in like high school, he was very he tried to be so involved just as like a parent. Like he was the crazy dude in the stands, like yelling, like getting super motivated, super excited. And he was one of those guys. Um, <laughs> and there was a few times I had it. I had to tell him to cool it <laughs> because he was like, <laughs> he would, I think there is, we joke about this again too. Um, but there's a couple times in wrestling in high school where he like yelled at the ref or something while I was at it. And I remember one time it was, a, it was the conference finals and I lost on a, again, it was like a questionable call. I don't think it was that questionable. Like, I, I don't think I got the point kind of thing. Um, and my dad just is like, just kind of like in just yells like that's complete shit right and like all this stuff and I'm walking off the mat and he was like the way it was is like the the mats were down low and the stands were above like in a gymnasium and I kind of look up to him and I'm like what the fuck are you doing like sit down and I got I got choice words from that from yelling at him but we talk he's like you never talk to me like that and I was like fine but don't be an asshole to the refs then um and that was probably like junior year of high school so I was a little bit older but still shouldn't have said it to him but he still even so like he he poured his passion into me right like and I, I don't think there's any way that you can say like hey support your kid and not only like and only have the good kind of thing like it's all out of love <laughs> yeah I love all of these stories, man. We just relate to this so much. And I know, you know, probably yeah. there's going to be so many people out there that relate to these stories as well. Um, yeah. And I think we can spend this whole time just talking about your, <laughs> you and your dad's relationship and, and, and what that looks like. And, and uh, but I know, you know, you have great relationships with all of your other family members as well. You know, Absolutely. your mom and your grandparents. And I, I do want to touch on that, uh, but we'll get into that a little later. For now, I want to transition fast forward i guess a little bit to to college um yes. you know i we've talked about this in person you know we both have similar experiences of like we just matured early you know we had childhood adversity and it forced us to mature early and when we get to college like everyone is doing the college thing having the college experience you know the drinking the parties the girls like that's all that they care about and we're just kind of like ah you know I got to work to pay my way through school. At least that's what it was for me. You know, I, I'm paying my way through school. I'm better show up to class and like get decent grades. Like, um, I don't want to go out to the bars and be hung over. Like, I just don't vibe with everything that's going on here. Um, and it can be lonely. Like for me, I didn't, I really did not have friends in college. Like I bounced around to different colleges transferring and whatnot. And I have zero college relationships that are still in my life today um because i mean i just didn't do a great job of connecting with people because it was hard for me mm -hmm. um so i want to hear your experience of going to college like not being into that whole thing <clears throat> how did you seek out relationships with people that you know you could build friendships um but continue to you know work on yourself and do the things that you really wanted to do to grow as a person Absolutely. Yeah, this is a this is a super, I think, just important topic to cover because there is so much just different viewpoints on college. And, and I think at the end of the day, you got to just do what's best for you. And I do, you know, like looking back on college, it's hard because I say like, you know, for what I'm doing now, I didn't really need to go. 
But also, I don't know if I would have been where I am today if I didn't go. Because I did have a lot of great experiences that kind of got me to where I am today. So I've always taken the stance on a lot of things like that. It's like, I don't really regret anything because it, it brought me to this point and I'm grateful for that. Um, but for my college experience, I, um, I went to NC State University, North Carolina State, um, down in Raleigh, which was first was, which was a great thing for me because it was thousand miles away from home. Um, you know, I grew up in a suburb of Chicago, Illinois, going to school in a southern southern area in North Carolina and Raleigh. It was great because I got exposed to a completely different culture and you know, and just like new people, new experiences, moving away. Um, it was awesome. That alone was was worth it. Um, but then yeah, I I realized, you know, I, I kind of knew in high school just through some things that I went through and you know, I wasn't gonna be the partier, just I knew myself. Um, but I still went down to college, I think with this idea of like, oh, maybe I'll try the college lifestyle, right? Like I'll try it. And I did it for my first weekend down in, uh, like at school, I remember going to a frat party and, you know, in, embrace the frat party, um, just like lifestyle for one night on like a Friday night and I woke up and, uh, I like, you know how your internal clock just like, you know, when you wake up early, it's hard to sleep in. Right. So I, I remember going to bed at like 2 a.m. I was, you know, pretty drunk, um, had gotten some fast food after the party. And I woke up on Saturday to go and hit my leg day on, on like at the gym. I was like, I'm going to deadlift. And I remember like putting like 315 on the bar and like going to my warm up sets with it. And I was just like awful. Like I felt terrible. I couldn't lift. And I, I literally had like that real moment re- realization where I was like, yeah, fuck this. I'm not doing this again. Like, I, I'm just like, it's not worth it. Like I, like in that, in that moment, I had the understanding that I care more about how I perform on Saturday morning in the gym than I do about my night on Friday. Like that was more important to me. So it was from then on, like I, I, I joke about this, like my college phase lasted about my party phase lasted about one weekend um (laughs) and then from there on out I was like you know what I'm gonna just do what I want to do and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that you know it's lonely in college when you do that like and I'm not gonna try to sugarcoat it and say that I didn't have moments where like I was just alone and just upset and just like whatever but what I learned to just appreciate the fact that you know it's important you know I'd rather be doing things that serve me and that bring me happiness, even if that means being alone, then by doing something that doesn't bring me happiness and being surrounded by other people. And to do that and have that realization so early on, I was like, you know, I could be alone and be okay with that. So what I started doing for, you know, at least for the first semester of school, you know, I had met people and, you know, connected my roommates and, and everything. And I had like a small group that I would hang out with every, every so often on the weekends. Um, typically when they weren't going out crazy partying, you know, like every, it, it got into like a, a routine of like, maybe like once a month we played cards. Um, like they stopped going to parties. We all came down and played cards um, in someone's room. And I loved that. But then the other times when they would go out or people were going out to parties, 
I just found this like walking path um, around campus. And like I walk it at like, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night. Um, I just go walk it and listen to podcasts and listen to music. And I loved it because it was just, it was like my way of like, I'm setting myself up for a great Saturday. And even though like it became like a friend of sorts of like that comfort of like, hey, this is a routine I can get to, you know, and yeah, I was alone for most of the times, although I had a few times where people joined me and and just did my walk with me. Um, That was okay for me. Um, But then as the next big transition in college for me then was um, I started working at the gym and personal training at the gym and that opened the doors to connections of pe- with people that were more in line with the kind of people I wanted to hang out with. People that put fitness, you know, at some sort of priority in their lives. Um, so that kind of gave me a smaller group of people that allowed me to then, you know, on the weekends, every once in a while, I'd just get... One a- just one second before you move forward. Yeah. I hate to interrupt your thought process. No, 100%. I want to... Talk about how you said no to the parties. You know, like this is the hardest thing for people to do right here when you're in college and your roommates are going out. You, the people you like, you just want to be a part of the group. We all just want to be a part of the group. We want to be invited. We want to have fun. We don't want to miss out. We have that fear of missing out. So I want to hear exactly how you approached telling them no, like, I don't want to do that. Here's why, how they took it. You know, how did those conversations go? Um, You know, I want other people to be able to hear this so maybe they can implement this right now. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So those are hard conversations because there is judgment, right? Like I got judged for not doing it. I got judged for saying no. Um, It's it's not easy to do, um, but it kind of just goes back to that first thing I said of like, I had, I realized that doing what made me happy was more important. I could do what made me happy alone versus doing what I didn't want to do with people. And it came from just being comfortable with being with myself. And I think when you do that, it makes it a lot easier to say no. So my advice to someone who you know, is struggling to kind of balance that, like, I don't, you know, I don't want to go out all the time, you know, or maybe, you know, maybe they don't like, for me, like, I didn't give up all partying, you know, I I enjoy myself here and there, but it was, I gave up the, the every single weekend, the college lifestyle that is just so terrible. Um, You know, just being able to spend more time alone and get comfortable with my own solitude I think that was the biggest thing that then allowed me to be able to say no in those circumstances. Because otherwise, if you're not comfortable with, you know, being by yourself and with your own thoughts and just enjoying your own company, it's going to be very hard because you're just, even if you don't enjoy the, the substances or like this, the, the, in the events that you're you're participating in when you're with the group, you're going to do it anyway because you long that group companionship. So being able to just spend more time alone. So whether that is simply going for more walks by yourself or sitting in your own, you know, with your own company or being able to entertain yourself by reading a book 
or going to the gym. You know, like for me, it was going to the gym because I never even had lifting partners. It was always just the gym was my place. And that allowed me to like, hey, I'm alone right now, but I'm having fun. I'm enjoying myself. And when you're comfortable in that, it made saying no to those group events that I didn't really want to be a part of in the first place. I might have only been joining because I wanted to be around the group a lot more easy, a lot easier. And then with that, I think it eventually led me to being able to find the group that actually I meshed with, you know, because I was comfortable in who I was. I knew who I was. I knew the things that I wanted to to be doing on Friday nights, and it wasn't what everyone else was doing. So yeah, it took longer, but I was able to outlast that kind of, you know, time where I had to sit by myself or go for walks by myself um, because I was okay with it. I got a uh, couple of different points I want to make here because dude, first off, man, applause to you. Cause that's one of the hardest thing ever is to enjoy time with yourself. It's something that I struggle with being a massive extrovert. I always feel like I have to have people. If I'm alone, you know, I'm starting to FaceTime and call people. So I'm always trying to be stimulated with other people and it's something I definitely need to work on. So I'm glad I just didn't even put myself in the college environment because I don't necessarily trust myself. I feel like I would have fallen into the people. But um, another thing is, is I've really seen, because I've had a lot of these conversations with resonating with young guys, and I always ask them, I'm like, did you ever challenge these people's perspectives on partying? Because once you start challenging people on, do you want to go party? You'll realize that most people don't actually want to go do these things. You'll start to find people and inspire and lead other people to a better life in this more balanced life like you're talking about. Nobody really wants to go party every weekend. I can guarantee you that they're just conforming to the group as well. So challenge these people. If you're a guy out there who's you know not wanting to conform to the group, you're in a bad environment, challenge some of these people. Challenge some of your good friends like, hey, you know, do you actually want to be doing this? And I guarantee you, you will see majority of people will agree with you and then start to take action, you know, following your leadership there. Yes, 100%. I think that is a phenomenal point that, um, and it's something that I've, I saw firsthand, um, you know, more so when my, my senior year of college, I was only there for a semester, my senior year, but that was the semester after I did my whole road ex- road trip experience. And that was super hard for me to go from three and a half months of freedom, living on my own, my own terms, doing it, and then going back to the deep college life, right? Like being around that. But because by that point I had been so solid in who I, wa- who I was, what I wanted to do, it became very easy for me to just say, you know, like on Friday night, I, I remember the first Friday – of me being back at school, um, I was with roommates and a bunch of other friends and they're like, Oh, we're thinking about going downtown to grab, grab some drinks. And it was a beautiful day out. And I was like, I'm actually going to go, um, slack line for a little bit. Like I, at that point I got my first slack line. I'm going to go slack line. And then I was thinking about playing around a Frisbee golf right next door at the park. And they all kind of looked at me and they're like, that sounds way more fun. And they're all like, can we come? I'm like, sure. Come along. And it's something that I picked up from Zach, actually, Zach Hommel, where he was like, you know, I like sometimes you just got to go and go, you know, leaders go first, right? Like you have to be okay with them not wanting to go. Like You don't, you shouldn't try to force them into it, 
But by you going and you giving them the option, a lot of times people, like you said, Matt, like they don't always want to party every weekend. Like, but just society tells us that this is what someone in college should do. Society doesn't tell you someone in college should go slackline on a Friday night and play frisbee golf. Like that's not what when you think of college lifestyle you think of. So by presenting them that opportunity, a lot of them took it and then we made it like a Friday thing where we would just do something outside every Friday. And it was a it was a way that, you know, I was gonna do it regardless. And I think it's important that you have that that own resolve to say, hey, I'm gonna honor what I wanna do. But also say, hey, you know, if you want to come, come along and we're going to have a great time. Yeah, dude, I commend you so much for just being that one, that the person that broke the mold, you know, and showed people another way, like another way to live entirely. Can you talk a little bit about how it felt to kind of liberate yourself from feeling like you needed to go do this with them? Like, you know, it's one thing, it's hard to say no, but if people understood what it felt like to be able to just say no and go to your own thing, they may be more inclined to do it. So what feelings did you experience feeling the confidence to be able to do that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to put into words because it really is just this euphoric feeling because you're, I've always viewed it as like, you're honoring your own soul in that way, right? Like something deep inside you when people are pulled out for partying and they're pulled out to doing something that they don't want to do, it hurts them deep down, right? Like it's this deeper, like you can put on a face, you know, like I've had plenty of times where, you know, I'm crashing at someone's place and they're deciding to go out. Um, and you're kind of, you have no other choice really. So you just go and you do it, but it just no, never sits right. And the best way I can describe it is like, you are fully content you have full peace in your sense of self. And that feeling is just an incredible, incredible feeling. Yeah. Like your just weight is probably lifted off. The weight is breaking free from just the society pressure in general. And the other, Oh, so the, the other thing that, you know, this just reminds me of it. It's a very similar weight was when I finally shaved my head. You know, because it's this idea of getting over the things that you're insecure about, the things that you don't you don't like about yourself, things you don't like going on in your life right now, and freeing yourself from that. The confidence you get is incredible. For me, I you know battled with insecurity over my thinning and receding hair for a, at least a year, if not more, and to then finally shave it off, I felt like a new person. Like I you know, you guys knew me with hair and then without hair and same with like Zach and a lot of people did. And I always, you know, I think I I came across a very confident person, even when I had hair and and stuff, you know, it was always something that kind of just affected me in terms of my confidence. So when I finally said, fuck it, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna bite the bullet. I'm gonna shave my head, embrace this new me the amount of confidence and the really just like the sense of peace that I felt even like the within five minutes of me shaving off my my hair and and embracing the bald look I felt so just at peace with the reflection I saw and I think that can be that feeling can be you know described to everything it's when you're honoring 
who you're meant to be and the true the true desire of your heart in a way, right? Like the true reflection of like, hey, this is who I want to be. This is who I am. I'm going to honor this. That's like the best feeling in the world. And that's what everyone should feel. It just takes you to have the courage to step up and say, hey, no, I am going to honor this. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. You look, bold looks great on you, by the way. I fucking oh, love thanks, it. bro. <laughs> love it, man. And I respect that so much because I don't even know if I'd be able to do that in that situation. Like that is, that takes, that takes a lot of courage <laughs> and a lot of confidence. And, you know, you feel like when you make these decisions of saying no to the parties, like doing your own thing, uh, shaving your head, like it really just helps you break free from the societal pressure of like how life should go or what things should look like when you're in college and, and, um, you know, after college. And once you start to like compound these decisions of like, I'm honoring my soul, like you said, you just start to make um, more confident decisions in other areas of life. And I think that those decisions that you made there really tie into you starting your own business you know, not getting a nine to five after school. And, uh, you know, you continued to kind of break the mold and do what you wanted to do and honor your soul. So you, could you talk to us about where the coaching business came in, when it got started, how it got started and what experiences led you to that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it all just compounds like every experience that you have when you say no, or you honor yourself or you shave your head, you overcome an insecurity. The people always ask like, how do you build confidence? Well, that's how you do it. Like you do it by doing uncomfortable things. You lean into that fear. And, you know, whether it's simply by saying no to going out partying because you know deep down it's not what you want to do, that's a way to build confidence. Every time you do that, you're building more confidence. Every time you overcome an insecurity, you're building confidence. And then that leads you to be able to do the big things like starting your own business, right? Like people always ask, how did you have the confidence to do that? It's like, well, you look at the track record of things I did, it happened because I just, you know, kept saying, I kept doing what was uncomfortable to me in the moment. But then at, that's how you build confidence is by keep on continuing to do that kind of stuff. So the business, um, giving you kind of like the, I guess the, the breakdown, the overview um, for how it all started for me was I my senior year of high school was when I started to really find a passion for training and just like helping others. Um, so my last, my previous strength and conditioning coach, um, he was my last strength and conditioning coach that I had like in person. He, my senior year of high school started letting me like, I, I kind of started asking him questions more so than just like, Hey, how can I get stronger? It was more along the lines of like, Hey, if you have a client that has this problem, what would you do? How would you program? And he started like helping me understand what goes into programming, what goes into training, what goes into coaching and all these kinds of things. And I started, you know, helping him with some of his clients and just being able to kind of, you know, shadow him in a sense. Um, so that was kind of eye opening. And then I went to school actually for animal science. So nothing related to um, nutrition or personal training or coaching or anything like that. And then realized pretty quickly, we can tell that story later, but very quickly, I didn't want to, to do animal science. Um, <clears throat> so I 
ask myself, all right, what's the number one thing that I'm really passionate about? And it's like, well, it's nutrition and, and personal training. I just started working at the gym um, as a personal trainer and I loved it. So then I personal trained all throughout college um, and then junior year, COVID hit and I, was able to, I wasn't able to personal train anymore. I've been training at the university gym and the YMCA um, and I couldn't do that anymore. So I had by this point had been working with Zach um, Hommel for a while and we had a great relationship, great friendship. And he was kind of the one that was like, hey, you would like, I don't know if you've ever considered creating like an online presence or anything, but I think you would do really well. I think you would, you would crush it. And that kind of pushed me to then say, oh, all right, maybe I'll try this online coaching thing. Um, So I started building, building out a Twitter brand and just, you know, working with people. And then during that time, I had also decided that I was going to do a semester where I was just going to travel out of my car and and visit all that. So I kind of documented that trip in addition to starting to work with clients online. So that was able to kind of sustain my travels, if you will, because I couldn't personal train in person. And then it got to the point where I was going back for my semester, my last semester of senior year, um, which was in the fall of 2021. And it was at this point where I was like, all right, well, I got to figure out what I want to do next. So I had a couple ideas like, all right, maybe I'll go and get my master's and then get like an RD, become a registered dietitian, because that was one avenue. And then I'd also had toyed with the idea of like starting opening up my own gym and everything, or, you know, do I just do all in person training? But my business had kind of grown to this point where it was like, all right, well, you know, if I really dive deep for the next few months, maybe I'll be able to kind of just make this my, make this my dream and make this happen. And that's why I kind of did used, you know, put all my time and effort into it. Um, and then when I graduated in December, it was like, I was like, all right, I'm like probably like a month or two out from being able to like make this a, a legit thing and like make it like sustain me so that I don't have to get a nine to five. And I grinded all December, made it happen. And then I've just been running with it ever since and kind of been growing that way. Um, but it all started from in-person training and my love for just helping people live healthier lives and move better. Yeah, I love that. So what what was the first first client? Um, you know, give us that little story of you get the first client, the first yeah. time that you get paid online to be coaching. Like, did you have the systems in place? Did you know what you do? Like, were you confident? Were you nervous? Like, what did that first client? Yeah. So are you asking for first client of my online business or first client that I ever trained in person? We can do both because I'm sure they're okay. both interesting stories. Yeah. So they're, they're both, they're both very, I mean, the first client um, I ever had in person was impactful for me because it was, um, an old lady, actually. It was like a 75, I think she was 75 or 77. I can't remember. Um, and she, it was very different for me because I'm sure Matt can attest to this, where you get into coaching, you get into training. You're like, I want to train athletes. I want to train the top guys. I want to help guys, you know, squat five, 600 pounds, deadlift seven, increase their verticals. And here I am training this, you know, 75 year old lady 
and the sweetest, sweetest lady um, ever. And I was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to figure it out. And so I trained her and her main goal was she wanted to, you know, just kind of, you know, be more comfortable with bending over and getting up from chairs and, also, like she had a new um, a grandson at the time, very young, and was kind of at that point where like he was running, right? Like he was he was like at that two or three age, um, which is an active age, as you can imagine, right? So as you know, so she was like, I want to be able to play with him and not feel like I have been hit by a bus kind of <laughs> thing. Like that was what she like came into me, came in. She's like, this is what I want to do. And I was like, Okay. So, you know, just worked with her consistently three days a week. And by the end of our, our like 14, 16 weeks that we worked together, um, she was able to, you know, she, she came in from a weekend of playing with her grandson. She's like, I can pick him up. I can move and I don't feel like my bones hurt or anything like this. And that was what got me hooked and addicted on personal training. And I was like, I cannot imagine a job that is more rewarding than this because I was like, holy crap. Like I just helped someone be able to live a life and give more love to their family. And as you guys know, I am a very family oriented person. And for me, it was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I can't imagine doing anything else. So that was very impactful for that reason. But then also it told me that it kind of showed me it's like, uh, maybe I don't need to just train athletes. Like, you know, maybe I am just, you know, fine with training just the general pop clients and you get a lot of reward from that. And then since training client or training athletes, I've confirmed that and said, yeah, training, you know, a general pop, a mom or dad trying to live a healthier life is more rewarding to me than helping a college basketball player increase his vertical. So that was that was a very impactful. Um, and then my first online, oh, your, you can, yeah, yeah. Before we move to your first online client, I want to, um, and I know my brother has a similar story of like, you know, you're ready to coach the fucking dude who's trying to bench four hundred five. Yes. Then a girl walks through the door who can't even do a body weight squat, and you're like, oh shit, like it's crazy. How did you, <laughs> how did you go about training her? Like, not the mechanics of it, but I'm just saying, like. You know, you you had never worked with a seventy year old grandma. Like yeah. you didn't know how to like maybe even do assisted exercises or you change things around to to help her. Like you truly were just like thrown into it. Like shit, I got to figure this out. But that didn't keep you from doing it. Like you still were like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm gonna I'm going to figure this out. I'm gonna make it happen. Um, yes. So I want to point that out specifically. Like, what were your feelings surrounding that, and how did you approach that head on? Yeah. You hit the nail on the head because I was like deer in the headlights, like, holy crap. Like, I didn't know that this was going to be a, like, I've never trained someone of this age. I like, you know, you're worried about, you know, obviously you don't want them to get injured. And like, it, it, it is, it was a daunting thing at first. Um, but I learned a lot of important things during that. Um, number one was that <laughs> you can create the perfect plan and it goes out the window in about two seconds when they walk in. Because I remember like the first time, like we did the uh, initial consultation and, you know, like create this awesome program. And then she comes in and she's like, 
you know, my lower back is just really bugging me. So can we just do upper body today? And I'm just like, well, I had this total body plan. Uh, all right. Yeah. We're going to go on the fly and learning to take what the client gives you and adapt the plan around that so that they can still progress was something that I didn't realize you'd have to do. But now I realize that is all coaching. Like you are never going to get like, once in a blue moon, you get a person that follows the program to a T. And when you get those clients, you're like, holy crap, this is, this is awesome. Because it's just you like, love them. You love <laughs> it's them. like, am I even working? <laughs> like you just, wow, you did this. All right, sweet. Check the box, go off to the next one. But for the vast majority of people, they're always going to have something come up. They're always going to have something, a hurdle that they have to go across. And it's all about understanding what it's going to take to get them from point A to point B. And figuring out that journey with them, right? So like manipulating and say, okay, well, they didn't get this amount of volume. So you kind of got to switch it around to be able to do this, choosing this exercise. And that's, I didn't really view that because again, like I, I took like a NASM certification course when I first got in because I needed to for um, liability reasons to work at where I wanted to work. And they don't teach you any of that. They teach you cookie cutter stuff and you're like, well, none of this is relevant. Awesome. And so that was a big thing though. It was like, there's no such thing as like the perfect plan because for the vast majority of the clients that you have, you're going to have to make, you're going to have to make amends to the plan. You're going to have to change it up. You're going to have to work with them. And then on top of that, the kind of second part to which I learned was how important communication is with your clients. Like being able to, you know, ask the correct questions, ask the questions that are going to lead them to tell you more so that you can get more feedback, right? Like at simply asking, you know, how are you feeling after this exercise? You know, 99% of your clients are just going to tell you, oh, good, you know, but it's like, okay, hey, in your glutes, what was the specific sensation you were feeling? Were you feeling burned? Were you feeling like it was tweaking? Like, you know, like being more direct and then leaving it open to interpretation was big. And then just being receptive as well, because, you know, it's easy to just say, well, I know exactly what we need to do to get here, but are you going to let me do that? Right? Like some clients just don't want to do it. And, and, you can't force a client to do something that's not going to end up in a good, you're not going to get a great result out of that. So really working on my communication, um, how I cued was really important because the lady I worked with didn't know what externally rotating her feet meant. And she was like, I was just like, all right, well, imagine you got, you like wine, right? All right. Well, imagine you got a corkscrew in there and you're trying to twist it out. Right. And like, Thinking about ways to really, you know, replicate exercises into things that she could understand, right? So, like, we did, you know, a lot of box squats because she always, she's like, I hate the feeling of me getting out of the sofa. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to do this exercise because it's going to help you feel confident in this circumstance that you constantly complain about, right? She's like, I always feel tweaked when I'm, you know, having to walk with groceries in so you do you know suitcase carries and stuff and it was a way to you know I for the first time I saw exercises in a different way than just like muscle activation and started seeing them as like oh no 
they can use you to train for life. And that was kind of a cool switch that happened in there. So all in all, I mean, I learned it was like the best first client because I learned a ton about how to become a better coach through this one client that I wouldn't have gotten if I just was like, I'm creating, helping a dude trying to bench 405. Dude, that's, that's so crazy. I'm sitting here just nodding to all of that. I relate to that so well. My first client was like a middle, middle middle-aged woman. She's like in her thirties. And so not, not as old, but you know, still she couldn't do, she couldn't even do an air squat. So we're working on just the stability of assisted squats, things like that. She comes back one day and she's like, she was a nurse and she was like, Hey, like I was able to help carry one of my patients. I was like, that's awesome. Another day she comes back. She was like, you know, the overhead stuff we're doing. She was like, my sister couldn't lift a tote over her head onto a shelf. She was like, I picked it up for her. No problem. So just relating to every single thing you said, dude, it's incredible. Yes. And it's so cool to hear other trainers and other coaches, first clients or their first stories or like, even if it's not the first person they train, but the one that's the most impactful. And it's usually something along those lines where like you in your head had this picture of like, you know, helping someone make incredible feats, but it's the small feats that mean a lot that is, has the most profound impact on you. And that's what I think is so beautiful about coaching, you know, and I, I think, you know, there is a, a small percentage of coaches that really do get super excited and passionate about training athletes. And I think that's awesome. But, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize, at least a lot of young trainers, they don't realize the impact that you can have just on a mom and pop or, you know, someone that just walks in off the street trying to, to move better and feel better. Yeah. Yeah. You can't overstate, you can't overstate the impact, um, you know, that that has on their life and also the ripple effect that it's going to have, you know, now that 70 year old grandma is talking to her friend who's 70, who wants to play with her grandkids. And like, it just ripples and you're changing generations of families potentially just through coaching one time when you approach it with that viewpoint and that kind of heart to serve, like this is an incredibly uh, fulfilling career that you have. Um, And just touching on one point, you know, when you first started, you had that, you know, you're thinking you've always viewed lifting from an athletic perspective or performance perspective, getting strong, like strength perspective. And then all of a sudden you have this 70 year old lady come in and you know nothing about training a 70 year old lady, but you just dove in and figured it out. And that's how, what we have to do as business owners, like every single day, almost, we just have to dive into what we don't know. And we just have to figure it out one step at a time. We learn as we go and we continue to figure it out. You don't have to have, you know, step 100 figured out and know what it's going to look like to do step one. You have to take the step in front of you and continue to go. Um, you know, one step at a time to learn and uh, continue in that journey. Um, so I just wanted to share that specifically for people who are like considering getting into business, but they just, there's so many unknowns, like they're just always going to be those unknowns yeah. and you have to act anyways. So um, I, I appreciate you sharing that story. And I think a lot of people will resonate with that. Uh, so what's the first online client story? So first online client was actually the complete opposite. So it was a guy, um, it was a, um, a guy I knew actually in high school. Um, he, I had put out that I was doing online coaching. Um, he was older than me. He was like two years older than me. Um, and he was a college basketball player. Um, so like athlete. And I was like, Oh, eat it up. All right, let's try this. Um, and 
I really, really enjoyed him because it was also the first time that I was able to start working with nutrition as well. So the place I worked at, um, like the YMCA and, you know, personal training in general and, and um, like in-person training in general, the gyms are out were pretty strict about, you know, nutrition guidelines and like what you can share and, and everything. Um, and nutrition was always a, a passion of mine and, you know, I really liked it. So this is the first time I was like, I can go all in on this. Um, so yeah, I worked with him for about, uh, about 24 weeks. Um, and kind of during his, you know, transition from the end of season to preseason and everything. And, and his main thing was he wanted to put on size, you know, as a lot of basketball players struggle with is, you know, he's tall, skinny, but gets, you know, beat around pretty easily against someone uh, down in the paint. So for me, it was, it was a fun challenge because I, you know, up until this point, it's always been like, I want to you know lose weight. I want to help people lose weight, right? Like that's what a lot of people struggle with, but I actually got to help him get on a bulking plan and, and start seeing gains in his lifts. And, you know, we ended up, he put on like 10, 12 pounds in that time, um, saw lifts and, and increases all around. Um, and he was the first client and I since like still talk to him and send messages because like, you always remember your first, at least, you know, on online, because it was like, that's the first person that believed in me. That And it was like the first person that like, I could say like, Hey, I can actually make this a reality. Like I'm sure you guys have had, you know, you're all online business owners. The first time you get paid online for your own service, you're like, Oh yeah, I don't want any other feeling but this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got a tattoo of my first first online client. Just That's remembering sick. that. My uh, Boston That's the Red Boston Sox. Tattoo, right? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he's from Boston. Um, and so I've been training him for like six to eight months. Finally fly out there to meet him in person. We hang out, train for three, four days, whatever. Go to a, a Red Sox-Yankees game at Fenway. I'm a huge baseball guy too. So I actually, the day I quit my job, I quit my job and the very next morning I wake up and go get this tattoo as like a, my first online client, like going all in on my business. So a lot of people are like, you're not even a Red Sox fan. Why do you have that? And I'm like, it's way deeper than that. <laughs> that is so cool. I love that, dude. And it's it's such a weird feeling. Like I even like wake up now and I'm like, dang. I got to figure out a way to make more money or like, I got to figure out a way to provide for myself. Like that's like when you, it's all on you. I think there's like, it's the most satisfying feeling in the world of like, dang, I am really like, it's all on me and it's, it's up to me to figure this out. And like Mitch said, like, you don't know all the variables, you don't know, like, you can read all the fucking courses in the world. You can do all of this stuff, but God there is no way for you to predict anything. You got to just figure it out. And it's hard. Like I would never tell anyone that online, just owning your online business, owning a business in general is easy. It looks glamorous. We get to travel. We get to you know make our own schedules. But if you don't have discipline, if you don't have, you know, the, the drive to make it happen, and it, there's a whole lot of anxiety that comes with it. There's a whole lot of other feelings other than just like satisfaction that come with it but you couldn't imagine doing anything else yeah 
No, you're spot on. The anxiety that comes with it as well. Like this is something that I think doesn't get talked about um, from a lot of people. Like you said, there's the glamour of, you know, I have the freedom now I can travel, I can do all these things. Um, but you know, like you said, it's all on your shoulders all of a sudden. And, you know, it's, re- it's really never been like that in life before. Um, at least as young, young guys, like, you know, yeah, we're, t- you know, told as men, we're supposed to provide and protect for our family. But, you know, growing up, like you're always, your parents are always providing for you, even going to college, like, you know, you have student loans or whatever, like you just, you're not, um, you're, you don't have that, all that weight on your shoulders. Even if you go to a nine to five, like, you have the paycheck coming in, you're told what you need to do, when to show up, all of these things. Like, it's just not all riding on you. But when you get into business, it's coming, man. Like, (laughs) business is not for everyone. I used to think, like, why do not, why is everyone just not an entrepreneur? Like, you know, all this stuff. But I, since getting in, it is not for everyone because it requires a large amount of mental fortitude. Like, to be able to manage your own emotions is, like, the biggest thing that you know is required to be a successful entrepreneur and i've shared um you know this pot you know the previous podcast that will come out before this one i share my story of like i had crippling anxiety near crippling you know obviously i continue moving forward but near crippling anxiety after quitting my job and like you know i'm living with claire now and so i it's not just me like i actually have someone else that i'm uh accountable to so um you know i experienced that how what were those feelings like for you Um, let me uh let me make one quick point here because i i love this and everyone keeps saying this and it's so relatable for me too but i think you know for someone who's out there who's wanting to start their own business you're not going to be able to start your own business unless you make the decisions like mike did to completely embody the person he wanted to become you know saying no to the parties that's the reason he can start his own business deal with that crippling anxiety, you know, that Friday night leadership of taking those people out of the party scene and leading them out to the slack line, even when he didn't know if they were going to say yes, there's some anxiety around that. So don't think that if you're out partying, drinking, living a life that is not you, you're going to just be able to flip a switch and become a business owner tomorrow. You got to make these small decisions that compounded over years for all of us. And those small decisions are going to stack up to allow you to deal with the crippling anxiety of, holy shit, there's no, you know, no income coming in on Friday unless I take the action and make the moves. So I just wanted to interject that. Yeah, that's a super important point. Um, I'm glad you brought it up because it does like every one of us have we could spend probably three hours each going through the circumstances that led us to this point. And it's always funny because I never, I never really thought that I would be an entrepreneur. Like I never said growing up, like people say all the time, like, oh, he's an entrepreneur versus he's not an entrepreneur. I didn't know. I mean, I did a couple things that, you know, I sold golf balls that I found on the golf course, like when I was younger kind of thing, but I would never have said, I'm going to own my own business. It just got to the point where I got comfortable in knowing who I was. And then I turned that into yeah, I'm comfortable and confident and I trust and believe in myself. So why not bet on myself? But if I didn't go through all of this stuff, I don't, I wouldn't, like you said, Matt, like I wouldn't have had the ability to cope with the unpleasant and unfortunate things that are just part of owning your own business. It's huge. Love it. Absolutely. So the, uh, 
one thing I want to transition to next is Iron Man training, man. <laughs> I obviously oh, been around. I was around you a couple weeks ago and just heard your thoughts on it. But I want to hear, you know, I want to let everyone else in on what this is like because your background is is training for performance in wrestling and football. It's um, strongman competitions. It's powerlifting um, competitions or just, you know, pushing numbers in the gym. You may, maybe didn't do competitions, but it's just a similar style of training. Um, so give us the kind of pros and cons or maybe just the comparison. <clears throat> of you know strength training and now transitioning over to Ironman training what are, what are the experiences like yes oh boy <laughs> no it's been it's <coughs> excuse me it's been great um but yeah you hit the nail on the head it is way different than anything I have ever done because wrestling matches last seven eight minutes match max powerlifting you're squatting or like your your entire squat has to be less than a minute anyway. You know, strongman events typically last anywhere from 30 seconds to 60 seconds. It's going all out and they're hard and they beat the shit out of your body. But it's not the same as saying, all right, I got to go. I got to go on a bike for five hours or I got to go swim for hour and a half. And it has been a transition. Let me tell you, because the main thing I noticed when I made this first switch was like how well strength training prepped my body for this because I would go into what I like were pretty long bouts of exercise that wouldn't like I would recover really well from the next day like I was never like I mean you guys can attest for this how did you feel after we did the strongman comp right (laughs) like you know when you're when you're pushing your body and beating it up like that, even like the twelve weeks leading up to it, or however long the prep was, and then you do the strongman competition, I mean, body is just destroyed. Your lower back is messed up. Your shoulders hurt, and you don't even have shoulder problems, but your shoulders hurt. Like everything, your hips, knees, it hurts. And when I went into Ironman training, I was expecting. I'm like, oh god. Like I think in my head it was like. I'm just going to be three hours of like a three hour long lift or something. And that's how my body's going to feel after. And it never really happened. I mean, I've had, after my long pushes, I definitely have had some sort of soreness and, and fatigue, but I do think that the, the way the abuse that I put my body through in lifting prepped me for Ironman training pretty well. What, is way different and is way harder is the mental fatigue and the mental training that Ironman and endurance training brings because boy, let me tell you, it is so freaking hard to stay focused for three hours on a bike into a one hour run. And there's no way to make it go faster. Like there's no, like if you know you have a hard lift, you can put headphones in, grit your teeth and just bang it out. And, you know, it's all determined on, you know, pretty much your effort and how much you want to suffer, but you kind of determine the duration. There's nothing you can do when you just say, I got, the time is ticking. I got three hours. It's like the the way I can describe it is like doing a plank. Like it's that for exercise, you know, like, it's just like, you have to endure it. And I get why endurance sports is called endurance because it's just, enduring the suck and I think it's been great for me because like 
it's pushed me mentally in ways that I haven't really felt since wrestling. And even in the wrestling style, the ways that when I felt that way was not necessarily in the practices, but during the extra stuff, the cutting weight, right? So like the mental endurance that it took for me to, you know, not eat or drink for, you know, over 24 hours and, and, you know, lose weight and exercise on that, that primed me, like that is very similar to like the mental endurance it takes to do Ironman training. So it puts me back in there, which is really weird. And it's been great, honestly, like I, I, I love it, but it is, it's tough. I'm not gonna lie. Like it is, it, it, there's no easy way to get around it. And I'm excited to do the Ironman, but I'm also excited to like, not have to do this style of training for the rest of my life. <laughs> touching on that that mental side of things dude because and the reason i want to touch on this is like flipping that switch mentally i feel like a lot i've seen it in a lot of us guys like when it came to the strongman comp when it comes to these heavy ass lifts now you know when it comes to your ironman training and probably your wrestling background but for you bro i see it the most in you because you have the most contrast you're like the like happiest, most joyful, like not soft. I don't want to say that, but for a lack of better words, like you're, you're on this side of the spectrum. And then I see you carrying, you know, like 300 pounds of hand in that strongman comp, like you're ready to just kill someone. You know, when you're fake fighting me at IVB, I'm like, I don't want any piece of that because I know that you can just flip a switch and I'm done whenever you want me to be done. So I want you to talk about that. Did you st does that stem from wrestling? What's flipping that switch like for you, dude? Yeah, that's a really funny thing because actually Dan Barnett, um, you probably see him on Twitter. Um, he, we had known each other for through one of Zach's men's groups, and he made the comment during because he came. He was um, in the I think he lives in um, New Jersey or maybe I don't know. Anyway, Rhode Island. That's where he lives. Yeah. Um, but he he came to the strongman comp that Matt you were referencing up in Boston. And he is like, after one of the events, he's like, I've literally, that's the first time I've ever seen you like not smiling and happy. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I just get in this mode and I just go like competition mode kind of just kicks on. And I don't really, I think it is like a wrestling switch. Um, and it might be genetic too, because my dad is very similar. Um, he's kind of got this, like, all of a sudden you push him over the edge and it's like, boom, kind of like completely nice guy and then if you fuck with him the wrong way it's like beast comes out um and i've just kind of learned to control that more um and i think it does come from wrestling but yeah it's it's it served me very well but it is interesting when people mention that because a lot of times people don't really can't really recognize that you know or don't understand like dang he does have that side of him I'm like yeah i just try to reserve it to only you know that and really it's only come out a couple times not in in like a competition setting or something you know because it is like i just kind of get angry at the end of the day like it's like it hyper hyper fixated on the task at hand and like in my head i'm like i am going to like i'm just i'm gonna fucking kill this and it's i've luckily never had really like anger issues or, or anything like that because I've just had very good control over it. But it has, there's like one or two times in my life where 
I've had that outside of a sort of like physical competition and it scared me. I hated it. I was like, I don't ever want to do this again. Like it, it was like, that's not me. And it was just, you know, timing of things that were said, but it came out and it was like, I was like, Oh, this is not Michael. This is not what I want. Um, so I've been very conscious to only like, you know, I keep it on taps so if it's like, it's, it's the turbo switch. It's the NOS switch. So when I use it, we're going somewhere fast and it's going to be Look great. Fuck out. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's, and that's why I think competition is so important to me and having competition, regular competition in my life, whether that be an organized competition, like an Ironman race or, you know, a strongman comp, but also just like in the gym, because like it's an outlet to where I can, I can channel that intensity. And then it allows me to then be the person I know I am and just like, you know, be more of a, of a happier, just kind of fun loving guy. Um, and, you know, but it's hard to have the balance sometimes because it's like, you know, you got to turn that switch on, but if you turn it on the wrong times, it's, it's not a good thing. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I've noticed that just the most well-rounded people or the most balanced people have that kind of polarity that he was talking about of like, you know, Mike's this positive, you know, great energy guy. Then he also can go to this dark space and like the pe the best people, just all around people have that ability to go both places. They don't live in the darkness. Um, you know, it's like kind of maybe like 80, 20, you know, 80% of life is like upbeat and happy and positive and all this stuff, but being able to leverage that dark side in competition and, you know, maybe even in business and just these areas where we need intense focus, the people that perform the best, I notice that about them. Um, and you definitely have that. So uh, just commend you for that, for, you know, finding those avenues to channel that and really recognizing that this is a side of me that I don't need to completely get rid of. Like, it's just knowing when to turn it on and uh, choosing those right paths. So you said, I like how you said it serves you well, because I have some lifters like, you know, they're, they're almost scared to get into that ego phase of lifting. And I'm like, dude, like you need an ego, you need that side. And so if you're somebody sitting here listening to this, I'm asking you this question, Mike, if there's someone sitting here listening to this and they're, they're wanting to challenge themselves, they're wanting to lift these heavier weights, go to that side. How do you think that they can do that? Is it just a natural instinct? Is it something that you've just developed? Like, what do you think for someone out there who's listening is like, I need that? <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think you can develop it. I think some people are born and, and I think some life circumstances can happen where that might influence you and you see that or whatever, whatever it might be, you know, people have that dark side, right? Um, I think you can train it. By simply like we say it all the time, like doing hard things. Like sometimes it doesn't, and like you know, there's there's back and forth of the benefits of like mental training, right? Like should you do something that doesn't necessarily benefit you physically, but will benefit you mentally? And I'm a believer that you should because that's to me how you get that edge. Like doing something just for the freaking reason that it's gonna fucking you're gonna suffer and you're gonna do it because. And you're going to force yourself to do it because at the end of the day, you're going to get tougher because of that. 
and you're gonna be able to channel and you're gonna probably get pissed off at yourself you're gonna get beat up you're gonna feel sad you're gonna feel you're gonna feel all of these emotions that then you can it's it's kind of like filling your reserve like filling a tank that then is that nos of like then when it's time to go you step up to a barbell you think back to those fucking challenging moments you think back because that's all it is it's just it it's like overcome adversity that you can just channel and immediately use so if you're looking to improve that or you know have that turned on i mean i think the only really reason the only way that i can think really is is to just put yourself in those uncomfortable situations and do it and see what the heck you're capable of love that yeah. 100%. You got me fired up right there, man. Oh, oh yeah, I'm ready. Uh, but the ready. thing yeah. is, kind of going back to like the, the um, Ironman training that's so hard for me is like, I can't just flip. I have to be like, um, I have to be selective when I flip that switch because I just mm-hmm. can't physically maintain that like fire intensity for a 15 hour race. I don't have that in me. Right. So it's, it's kind of building almost like this slow burn in a sense where it's like, I'm just locked in. And I've been using a lot of like, um, kind of like mantras. So a few word phrases that I just get in my head repetitive. And I kind of go to this like meditative zone where I'm like locked in in that focused where like, if you saw me, you'd be like, oh, that's a pretty serious guy because I'm just like locked in. But it's not like the pure like anger and fury that I'm using in lifting. So like I'll I'll choose a few mantras like, you know, whether it's like I am Iron Man or something like that. Or like, you know, like pain or like success comes from pain or something of that nature. Something that just gets me in like a super locked in mode and I just repeat that over and over and over again. It sounds kind of psychotic but it is just like meditative of like this is how and that's how i found i can tap that store in endurance training versus like what i would do to just like flip it on during my lifts hell yes bro hell yes someone's gonna implement this right (laughs) someone's gonna use that i love that it's you know it's you said it sounds psychotic but i mean it's necessary and it's i think the top performing people, you know, in probably in the endurance space, probably do something similar to that. Um, I think this is a great time to transition now. You know, we had the intensity on this side. <laughs> now let's go over to the best day ever. You tweet it every morning, like, you know, have the best day ever. Um, you know, you bring that energy to Twitter, you bring that energy to the relationships in your life. You just bring that energy to life in general, man. And, and, and you can genuinely feel it when you're, when you're around you when we're around you i guess so you know it's hard i tell everyone like it's hard not to smile when you're with mike and um i think a lot of people get kind of maybe have a misconception of what you're referring to as in like fake positivity like it's just oh i'm i'm just going to like ignore the negative i'm gonna ignore it and i'm just gonna be i'm just gonna like fake it till i make it is that what you mean by like, let's have the best day ever, make it the best day ever? It's just like ignore the negative or how, you know, what is your perspective on that? And how do you actually make that, you know, happen every day? Definitely. You know, and it's, it's super, 
it's super important to distinguish, you know, the difference in my mind between happiness and positivity. Because how I've always viewed it is happiness is a temporary emotion. And as humans, we're meant to experience a whole range of emotions that's healthy, right? We're supposed to, like part of the human experience is being able to feel these emotions, sadness, you know, enjoyment, excitement, you know, anger, frustration, like all the possible emotions that you can experience. And the difference then is happiness is just one of those emotions. You know, it's temporary. You're not always going to be happy. But in my eyes, I've always viewed positivity as the belief that those happy that happiness will return right so it's it's a it's a long term mentality that you can keep you know it's hope it's optimism and you know when i was battling through some of the toughest times in my life in my childhood you know i always had someone like kind of just put that seed in my head of like you know what else do you have that you can focus on and draw energy from? And, you know, and keeping that hope and optimism, I think, is, is something that you can always carry with you. And that's where the best day ever kind of stems from. It's not saying every day is going to be the best day ever. Instead, it's saying every day could be the best day ever. And it's giving you that hope and that optimism. And for me, it was just, I realized I had a lot more good days when I would wake up and tell myself, hey, Today's going to be the best day ever. And that was not always the case. There'd be things that go wrong and I'm human. I I get pissed off. I get angry. And I recognize that. And I don't try to cover that up by always saying, oh, well, look on the bright side. Oh, well, look on the positive side. Because I don't think that's always the healthiest thing either. I think it's healthy to experience like, hey, loss hurts. Loss sucks. And you should embrace that. But there's no reason for saying that you can't start the day with the belief that it's going to be a good day. You know, it's putting, you know, I think we always talk about, you know, positive momentum as coaches, right? Like getting those small wins early in the day, you know, whether it's eating a healthy breakfast makes it easier to then eat a healthy lunch, which makes it easier to then eat a healthy dinner. And, you know, you kind of build on those wins. Well, the same thing goes for just your mentality and how you show up in the day. So by saying, hey, best day ever, let's make it happen. It's giving you a little bump of positivity right in the moment. And then anything that comes your way, whatever that's good or bad or ugly or however you have to deal with it, all of a sudden you're viewing it from, hey, I've already said that this could be the best day. So I'm going to view this situation as a positive one or or I'm going to view it from a more positive frame of mind. And you're more likely to then act in a way that is how you want to act. So it's not toxic positivity or whatever people like to say or toxic happiness or whatever. And maybe for some it, it irks them and it seems cheesy and it seems insignificant and insincere. And it's like, for me, it's just, I've always viewed it as like, not, not every day is going to be the best day ever. And heck, maybe for the next stretch of your life, you're not going to have best days ever, but those best days are going to keep coming, you know? And there's no reason like, when we lose hope, when we lose optimism, that's when like we really kind of dive deep into a dark place, right? Like when that hope goes out, when that light goes out, and that's the whole meaning behind the best day ever. And the reason I, I try to tell people to just start implementing it and saying it to themselves and because it's hope for someone. It's like, hey, maybe today is going to be the best day ever. 
Maybe the day is going to be the best day ever. Maybe the day is going to be the best day ever. Whether it happens or not is out of our control. But I'm a big believer that we can, you know, double down. We should double down on the things we can control. And that is the mentality from the start of the day. Dude, I love that. That's going to be your mantra. I just, I just feel it. That's that people are just going to know you as the guy who, you know, always makes every day the best that he can, regardless of the circumstances that come, you know, it's the perspective of like, yeah, this may be a shitty circumstance, but how can I make the best of this? And your personality embodies that so well. And I'm sure it's not something that's just come naturally that you, you intentionally try to, you know, act on. Um, and I just know that you're going to be widely, widely known for that mantra, dude. So, um, our last most important question for you, man, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Oh boy. It's my favorite. It's my favorite question in the world. Um, (laughs) favorite flavor of ice cream, kind of basic, honestly, but maybe it's not basic, but, uh, chocolate chip cookie dough is my favorite. Mm flavor of ice cream i love cookie dough um i've always loved cookie dough and i think in my rationale was like i always as a kid wanted to eat more cookie dough but like i couldn't be like i'm just gonna eat rolls of cookie dough there like i had some like self-discipline to say you're not just gonna eat a bunch of cookie dough but if you get it in ice cream it's okay so um, I always just had ice, cookie dough ice cream growing up, and that's always been my favorite flavor, and that's what it's going to be till the foreseeable future. <laughs> there you go. I think, mine's Rocky Road. I think mine's Rocky Road. I like the marshmallow in ice cream, I've noticed. Just the All marshmallow right. in ice cream. Rocky Road, what are you, Matt? I would have to say either cookie dough or cookies and cream. Those are the, okay. always the ones I go to. There you go. Uh, I will say, I will cheat on cookie dough <laughs> during the summer sometimes, only really during the summer, but if like it's a hot day, I'm feeling it, I'll go for like a mint chocolate chip. It's just very refreshing for me, and like I'll do it, and I liked, I green was my favorite color growing up, so like I would go for like the green look, um, but other than that, it's always just, I mean most of the time it's cookie dough. Like I probably have one cup of mint chocolate chip ice cream like a year. Um, but otherwise, it's always cookie dough. Love it, dude. Oh, man. Well, this has just been the absolute best conversation. We couldn't have asked for a better first guest to have on, dude. I can speak for myself and everyone that knows you. Um, we, you're just one of the best guys. Like, that is just <laughs> the, you know, just one of the best guys you'll ever meet. That's what everyone says when they hang out with you, they spend time with you. Uh, you're just one of the best guys ever. So thank you for taking the time to join us, dude, on the podcast. Like everyone out there listening, if you are not following Mike, if you have not met Mike, you should make every uh, take every action you can to get it, get around this guy. Your life will just be better 100%. So um, thank you so much, dude. We'll definitely have you on for another episode so we can go deeper into training and um, you know, your family relationships. That's one thing that I really admire about you that we didn't really get to um, outside of your dad. Like, I really respect how you intentionally, um, you know, cultivate those family relationships. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely have the opportunity to talk about that next time. But just thank you so much, bro. Thank you so much.
Dude, you guys are the best. It's been absolutely a pleasure talking to them. I can't believe it's already over. It went so fast. But I guess that's yeah. just what happens is when you're talking with awesome people. And, you know, you two inspire me. I mean, just from the moment we first met, you guys literally, like, what you're doing is, is incredible and so inspiring to me. And I love you guys. I love talking every like I could we could do a 10 hour podcast and maybe we'll one day but maybe we'll just keep that for for when we hang out in person more um but I love you guys thank you again it's been a true pleasure we love you bro yes